Hi everyone, just a note before we start. This episode includes discussion around some sensitive material and topics such as physical and mental abuse and sexual assault. It meant so much to us. We were all very emotional after that. Seeing sort of like the proof of what IJM is doing was incredible. One Republic are just taking this to another level. They're speaking about it at the gigs. They're speaking about it on their own YouTube platforms, but they're also, they've all been really personally generous. For me, this is where the hope is, that in the midst of the darkness of trafficking, that actually there is the possibility of real change. You have to sing a chorus if you're going to bring it up. To apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Floodlight, the podcast from us here at the Anti-Slavery Collective. We're committed to helping to eradicate what's still a massive problem that affects every one of us. Around 50 million people are enslaved across the world, across all sorts of demographics, locations and societies. But it's a problem that we can all solve together. That's what we're committed to doing at The Collective raising awareness and bringing like-minded people together who are as passionate about tackling this crisis as we are. So thank you so much for listening in. Today's episode is with two people whose work has been vital in raising awareness of modern slavery across the world and finding ways to combat it. Zach Filkins has quite the day job. He's the guitarist for internationally renowned pop band One Republic. They've been committed to using their massive profile for good, They've worked with the charity International Justice Mission to shine a light on modern slavery and how devastating a problem it continues to be. And because the International Justice Mission's work is so important, we're also joined by Molly Hodson. She's been in the charity sector for over a decade and is the Director of Marketing, Media and External Affairs at IJM. It's a fascinating conversation with two people right at the forefront of this fight we're all committed to. We hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today and obviously Molly as well. Um, what an honour to have you, Zach, from One Republic. What well, that's just amazing. You like <laughs> defined defined a lot of our a lot of a lot of moments in our history. Oh, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely honored to be a part of this and, and I remember months ago when we talked about it and uh, and uh, it was such a great idea. I'm glad we actually made this happen. Us too. Thank you. Likewise. I remember when we came to see you backstage in Hammersmith. I'd never been backstage before, so thank you for giving me an experience of a lifetime. Bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you weren't disappointed. I think a never. lot of people think that a backstage is like this incredible yeah. place, you know, and you go behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out it's like a dirty white room with, you know, some chips and or you would call yeah. them crisps on the table yeah. and maybe some chocolate. And it's like, oh, OK, well, oh, actually, even just quite cool. Even just seeing a tour bus is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I was okay. just trying to say, when we rocked up and that huge tour bus was there, it was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and we all got the lanyards with your names on it. And, you know, it was all professional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I have to say, you know, in, in researching all that you guys have done over your careers um, and, and looking into everything, I mean, obviously a couple of songs really sort of stick out for me, but one of the ones that defined sort of Jules and I leaving university was, was Apologize um, with Timberland. Go and sing which, it. 
Yeah, come on. B. No, no, no. You have to sing a chorus if you're going to bring it up. At least you did the Ryan part and not the Timbaland part, you know? Because there's always someone. There's always someone in the crowd that goes. Yeah. You're like, really? That part? (laughs) Make it hard for yourself. I don't need it. Yeah. Right. Zach, tell us about you and tell us about your light bulb moment as to when you first encountered exploitation and modern slavery. How did you meet the incredible Molly and IGM, the International Justice Mission? We'd love to know where, where your kind of fighting modern slavery journey began. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, for, for a long time um, as a band, we, we were very um, interested in... in partnering with someone. Uh, it was just sort of like, it was a thing that we talked about multiple times. Um, we really want to partner with someone. We really want to, um, obviously everyone wants to give back. Right. Um, but we wanted, to, we wanted to find something that we really resonated with, um, and have it be extremely genuine. You know, we, we didn't want to just pick something and say, see, you know, we're involved, but it, but we wanted, we, we feel like it's important to be very like emotionally involved with whatever, uh, with whatever breaks your heart, you know, and, and that really, you're going to speak a lot stronger if, if you find something that like really pulls at you. So we have done other partnerships. Um, we had done other partnerships previously. Um, but through Brent and another friend of ours, um, they, we were playing a show in I, I think Seattle and they said, there's this organization that fight slavery and they would love to meet with you um, because they're interested in maybe like working with, uh, with uh, an artist in the music industry. Um, and this was a few years back. And we said, sure, we will give them, you know, we're playing a show. We'll give them five minutes backstage and, and we'll talk with, with them. And, and to be perfectly honest, we didn't do any research. Um, I, I think one, you know, I think Brent had done research cause it was through a friend of his, the rest of us kind of went into this cold thinking, I'm not sure what they're going to say. And, and they came in, they sat down and we, we ended up just like, just talking and, and sort of blown away by what they were saying The the, the statistics that they were giving us, um, were just like, just kind of blew our minds. I mean, they, this was an organization that was making real progress um in in the world of slavery and sexual exploitation and w- so while we were blown away by the progress they were making we were also blown away by the fact that this even exists in such an intense form and is and as globally uh, you know as malicious as it is we, we we didn't realize that either so instead of giving them 5 minutes we ended up talking till our tour manager was like you guys have to get on stage you're 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 going to miss the show and so we were like guys thanks for coming when can we chat more? And, um, and that's how we left it. Um, a few weeks later, they came to LA and visited us in Ryan's studio to give us more information. They played a couple videos for us about what they were doing. And what's, what's amazing about it is that all of us in the band were instantly sold. Like this is our, we're going to join with this organization. There's no doubt everyone's heart was broken and it was kind of like this family ordeal where all of us were were convinced that that we're going to like tie in with them that's so nice that you immediately had that familial connection and then all of you 
agreed on what you were doing. It's 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 definitely something that Jules and I found when we started with our work in, in anti-slavery that it's like once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, like William Wilberforce, one of the biggest abolitionists, said that. And yes. we kind of use that as our motto going forward, you know. It just clicks. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and it, it does he, click. And and like, like Wilberforce, I think once you see it, you hear about it, and you realize the position you're in, it's it's like now I really have to do something, and it's not obligation. It's 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 stronger than obligation. It's it's like I I have to do this. Yeah, and I think um, you know I, I I everywhere we go on our sort of on our little mission when we in the anti-slavery collective world, all we really hear about is IJM and the work that you guys do. And Molly, I mean. Tell us about how, how you first encountered modern slavery and how you kind of entered into, um, you know, the world of, of, of what inspired you to, to try and end modern slavery. Yeah, so I think I had a similar sort of, you know, that moment where you just have complete shock that this is actually happening. And I was working in the UK poverty sector. And I just saw in the media this article about human trafficking. And I was like, is that? how is that even happening and was so shocked at such a deep level that I then came across IJM and sort of fast forward a couple of months ended up going out to see their work in South Asia and I just remember having this moment where I went into a safe house for in just like near a red light district in a really notorious part of South Asia and met with these girls who were all under 16 who'd all been brought to safety from sexual exploitation by authorities and IJM and it was Valentine's Day and we'd been given these little gifts to give to some of the children there. And this little girl came up to me and gave me a picture that she'd you know, drawn with crayons. And, you know, when you just have that that moment where you think you're a child and yet you've experienced being raped multiple times a day in a brothel. And, you know, just this should not be happening like this is this is just not OK on any level. And. And it made me just want to do something about it. And and I think, so there was this like moment of understanding the hopelessness and the kind of darkness of, of a lot of what's happening when it comes to trafficking. And yet then meeting with IJM who were doing this amazing work and, and seeing that it whilst there is so much darkness, there is also this hope. And IJM had seen massive reductions in slavery and trafficking of up to 86% in some of the places where they'd worked. And so, you know, being able to oh, wow. see... Yeah, which I know. I was genuinely shocked when I first heard that. 86%? Yeah. That's amazing. We, we, often, we often talk about hope in, in this work because often it is, there is a lot of doom and gloom and, and without that hope, it's hard to kind of stay enthused and not feel like you're trying to push water uphill. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and I, I'd love to add to that because I think that was one of the things that... Um, that convinced us even more about IJM is that they are uh, the the largest anti-slavery organization in the world because of the progress that they're making. The statistics, uh, like what Molly just said, eighty six percent. I mean that that's that's staggering. Um, the the success rate, um, and and I think one of the things that that really uh, convinced us also um, was how many different categories. Um, or sectors that they're working in in order to eliminate this, they're they're not only uh, rescuing um, children, you know, like like pulling them right out of terrible situations, 
but then they work with uh, with government forces, police forces, um, politicians. Um, they work with with lawyers in order to truly convict perpetrators. Um, they they work uh, with emotional health and psychology. It, it's almost like they they zoomed all the way out and and they were just like from start to finish. What are all the problems? What are all the reasons why this is happening in our society? And let's target each one of those things so that you not only just sort of put a Band-Aid on the problem, um, but you're, you're, they're almost like systematically eliminating all of it, if that makes sense. Molly, you, you, um, I'd love some more um, figures, if you have them, um, that, we can, that you might, might be able to share with our listeners about sort of, you know, 86%. I didn't know that. It's so, it's so amazing to hear good news in the world of modern slavery and human trafficking. So I don't know if you have any more stats to hand about, like, what's going on maybe, because we spoke to your lovely Samson Ignacio in, um, in Asia who was talking about online sexual abuse. And I, yeah, it would just be great to hear a couple of those. So I think one of the first things I heard about IJM was that they had seen an 86% reduction in children being exploited in commercial sexual establishments in one of the cities in the Philippines. And what was so amazing about that was that the Gates Foundation had given us a grant to help build the capacity of the local authorities to reduce commercial sexual exploitation of children in Cebu. And by working alongside law enforcement, um, so providing training and how to do trauma-informed investigations and operations and making sure traffickers were being held to account and survivors supported, over a five-year period, we saw a 72% reduction in children being trafficked into commercial sexual establishments. And the Philippines government saw the impact of this and invited IJM to help them replicate this in two other major cities with up to 86% reductions in children found in sexual establishments in those places. And I was just so impacted by that when I heard that. And the incredible thing is that we've seen those kinds of results replicated several times around the world. So just last year, we received the results of a study looking at the impact of our work alongside authorities in the Dominican Republic to reduce child sex trafficking and we've seen a 78% reduction in this over eight years and for me this is where the real hope is that in the midst of the darkness of trafficking um, that actually there is the possibility of real change and that this comes about when anti-slavery laws which exist in so many places are actually enforced and that people realise that there are consequences for trafficking people because this is a a crime of opportunity, right? It's an economically driven crime. So when people realise that you'll go to prison for a long time if you do this, it acts as a massive deterrent. Um, and that's where we've seen huge reductions in, in trafficking and other forms of violence in places where we've worked. Awesome. Um, at the Anti-Slavery Collective, one of our, our, our main mission is to raise awareness for human trafficking as a global epidemic. And would love to ask you, Zach, a bit more about how one Republic have used music to raise awareness for important causes. And I know you wrote the song Feel Again, which incorporated the sound of children's heartbeats from remote villages in Guatemala and Malawi. And then you sent a proceed of the songs, or you sent the pro- songs proceeds to save the children. So you were supporting that campaign and that charity. Um, I think it was called Every Beat Matters. 
Um, please, can you tell us a bit more about this? I think it's such an incredible collaboration and a great kind of blueprint for other uh, musicians to follow. And second to that is, could you imagine one day including modern slavery in some of your music and, and raising awareness through that medium? Mm, yeah, those are good questions. Um, yeah, uh, say when we worked with Save the Children, that was the, that was the, probably the first time that we did um, something of that scale um, for such a great cause. Uh, so of course, all of us were super honored and, and excited to be able to do that, and also to in include a song. Um, that was an experiment for us. Um, I think it it was an experiment for Save the Children as well, just to see how that would work. Um, I I really see that as um, as a success. I mean, even though it, it wasn't perfect, um, but including music into it uh, is really powerful. It, it's also a little bit um it's a little bit difficult also because you don't as artists you you don't want you want to avoid uh cliche in any way mm. you know um at least in your mind you know as an artist you're always afraid of cliche because you're you're afraid that um that cliche will be distracting uh to the listener distracting to the audience because they'll say oh i heard this i've heard this before or this is you know uh you really want to send the message and make it clear and, and not have there be any roadblocks um so so that was that was a little bit difficult for us but we but we already had um the beginnings of feel again the song and it was just like kind of a no-brainer like this song really has this thing to it and having a heartbeat put into it, it you can almost hear it and feel it in the song um, and, and, um, and you guys were talking about hope. That's, that's really, really important. You don't want to write a song that just makes everyone cry and give up and want to crawl into a cave and just be like, well, there's no, you just can't do anything. There's no hope. Yeah, it's too big yeah. of a problem. You, you kind of want to present, and this is what's difficult. You want to present something that is inherently uh, dark and evil, but you want to say, no, 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 we can get through this. Like, here's the there, solution. there are things we can yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the solution. So so with um, with the Save the Children uh, project with Feel Again, that we really felt like we kind of hit that. Feel Again has a hopeful kind of feel to it. So, um, yeah. And, and, and uh, also, you, here's the thing. Like, we talk a lot uh, about this because just recently on, on our tours, uh, we've been promoting IJM and all of us have sat around and, and, and spoken about like, how are we going to do this uh, without standing up in the middle of a show and kind of having it just be like a downer, you know, um, but at the same time spread this positive, hopeful word. Mm. And people don't, people don't want to be preached to when they pay a ticket and come hear music. We often call it smuggling information. It's like, yeah, how, yeah, can yeah. You, how can you entice people in with your wonderful music, but also smuggle bits of information so that they leave kind of feeling positive about the world or, or inspired by change? Yeah. No, that's, ve that's very true. We sort of called it leaving a, uh, a trail of breadcrumbs, but it's the yeah. same concept of throwing a couple of things out there and then saying, if you're interested, uh, we used our merch table as as a way for people who are interested to really dig in deeper and also they can use their phones and, and go anywhere they want to get information. So, so what we tried to do is find that balance where it's like, are you interested in this? We're working with this. It's really incredible. Go check it out. And then you kind of leave it there and let them find it, you know? 
it kind of leads me perfectly on to my my next question, which was like, how did you strike that balance with, you know, not um, turning people off too much with your with with giving them the message of of how to sort of end modern slavery, but also being these amazing entertainers and and standing up on stage. Like, you know, I think nowadays to be an activist and a musician is is the way forward, I believe. But obviously, you know, other people aren't that that way inclined. So um, the question is, like, when did you bring in these philanthropic ambitions to your music and, and was it challenging to get that balance right? And how would you... How would you tell other artists or other people wanting to be an activist and have their careers? You know, how what advice would you give those people? Yeah, definitely. It it takes uh, creativity. It takes it takes passion. Um, the save the children thing was our was our first try, like I said, and uh, and it was and I think it worked pretty well because we didn't have to say a whole lot. I think um, the more you can say in the least amount of words is sometimes better. Uh, so what we did uh, on stage in the middle of the show, there was a moment where, where um, we sort of asked Ryan um, as our spokesperson to just say like, just touch on maybe these four, these four topics. And, and then, and then, like I said earlier, send everyone to the merch table where we even had um, a piece of merch that was, that was handmade by survivors Um through a company called Mended, uh, where they were hand stamping these merch items. And so it was really kind of intriguing for people to go kind of explore that. Um, here's the That's thing. For, yeah, for, for us, this is where IJM is, is incredible, because just like they sold us on just saying some of their top statistics of what they're doing, we thought the, the crowd will most likely feel the same way. You know what I mean? If you just say, like, yeah. we're partnering with with International Justice Mission, slavery does exist all over the planet in, in various different forms. But this organization, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's the biggest in the world. You know, you just kind of give them a few words where they kind of go, whoa, like, I knew slavery was kind of a thing, but I didn't know how pervasive it was. I also didn't know that this organization is globally going crazy and and fixing some things. So then I think the statistics, um, and so I think the statistics speak for a lot for themselves. So if we were going to um, give advice to another artist, I, I would just say, you know, find something that breaks your heart so it's honest. And then find an organization that, that really is pushing towards excellence. Um, because that is really like what's going to cause kind of a snowball effect. Uh, because everyone else would be like, oh, my gosh, and they'll text their friends. You, did you know that this organization is doing this and this and this? It's, it's hopeful. You know, It's hopeful yeah. when you find someone who's, who's pushing towards excellence against something. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that makes think, sense. No, no, it does make sense. And I actually think like two bits of information for Jules and I to take forward or, you know, it's like being hopeful and like key messages in a nutshell that, you know, people hear about it, they're going to want to do something. It's not like we need to go on about it. It's, it's you know, you managed to get that balance right because you, you struck a chord and you told them the facts and that was it. They ran with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, definitely. And that's why, you know, in our position as artists or in your position, it's, it, it, it's not like fully logical. But if you are 
famous or if you have this or that, you know, clout behind your name, what you say just has more power. It just it is what it is. So um, I just think that is a part of the whole thing, too, is just I love this. Go check it out. And then, yeah. And they'll be like, oh, okay, You know, not like we deserve it. But yeah. What other bands, artists or public figures, individuals have kind of set an example for you in that and using using their kind of platform to shine a light on big causes and and where have you kind of sought inspiration from in that sense? Um, well, the most obvious answer, but is the most honest answer. You know, Ryan and I grew up in the era when U2 was taking mm-hmm. over the planet. Um, and I played Joshua Tree probably a, a zillion times. Um, and I think they are sort of the gold standard when it comes to this even though they go about things maybe a little differently than we would. I mean, everyone's different. It's uh, uh, Everyone goes about it according to how they feel called to go about it. Um, but, but Ryan and I both, because we grew up watching them and seeing them do what they do, um, we obviously were incredibly inspired by, by the platform uh, that they took advantage of. Um, and also by the, um, the, the sheer success of, of the way they were able to spread their word. Um, mm-hmm. So that, uh, you know, even though it's, it's, it's an obvious answer, it, it is very true for us. And Molly, a similar question for you, you know, ha- you, you did this amazing partnership with One Republic and you did work in the Philippines around online sexual exploitation of children. How did this initiative come about and how did you get One Republic involved and how do you see... IGM working and collaborating with other artists and musicians in the future? Yeah, we've been so um, amazed and just grateful to One Republic for the, the passion that they've brought to the partnership. It's really genuinely felt like a partnership. It doesn't feel like we're trying to persuade them to do stuff. It's like One Republic just get it and they want to take action and they're in it and they're with us. And And I think, you know, the Philippines is su- the what we're working on in the Philippines is such a dark and difficult issue. Um, I mean, just to explain a bit about what that is. So I, IJM works in the Philippines to stop online sexual exploitation of children, um, which is essentially where Western sex offenders pay uh, traffickers in the Philippines to abuse children. And I think what's really shocking about it is how old a lot of the children are. So the average age of children who are abused is 11 and, and half are under the age of 12. And I think that there's something about that that is just so gripping that I think once you've heard it, you just want to do something about it. And I think One Republic came out to the Philippines, they met with survivors, they saw what was happening and they wanted to do something. And I think particularly because that crime is a global crime, it's being fueled by people in places like the UK and the US the UK is the third largest global consumer of live streamed abuse. And, you know, I personally find that like shocking. It makes me want to do something. And um, it's just been a real privilege to see One Republic get on board. And, you know, one thing IJM is so passionate about is, is survivor led change, is listening to survivors, having survivors help lead conversations that lead to action. And, you know, just recently, Ryan Tedder interviewed Cassie, who's a survivor of online sexual exploitation and you know posted that on their youtube page it's like one republic are just taking this to another level they're speaking about it at the gigs they're speaking about it on their own youtube platforms but they're also they've all been really personally generous 
And I think that's just such an encouragement to us as an organisation to have partners like One Republic. And I, we would absolutely love to see more artists, more big public names getting on board and saying, like, actually, we can all do something here. Like, we all have something in our hands, whether that's a platform, whether that's, you know, the ability to go and help bring children to safety like IJM. And, and when we choose to use that platform, I think change will happen. So what, what One Republic are doing is catalyzing change. They're making it possible for children to be brought to safety and for whole systems to be changed so that they're not abused in the first place. And, and Zach, you, um, you worked on this initiative, obviously, and, and you met with survivors of online sexual exploitation. How, how did you feel about that? How, how was that experience for you? Oh, um, that, that was um, really powerful for all of us. Um, we didn't know when we when we saw that, we, you know, we went out to the Philippines, we saw the schedule of different things. We were going to meet um, some of the IJM folks uh, in their office and, and do various different things and, and meet government officials. Uh, within that itinerary, um, we saw, you know, this this uh, lunch where we were going to hang out with survivors and I'll be honest, none of us really knew what to expect. I think we were, um, we were definitely excited to do it. Uh, but when you when you look at the history of these survivors, you think, um, you know, this this could be really heavy. This could be uh, difficult. Maybe, um, you know, how how do we go about this? We really didn't know how to react. Do you walk in and say, "Hey guys," you know, like to try to keep it happy? Or, or do you walk in solemn? Um, you know, being completely honest, we, we were all very sensitive to it and, and not knowing what to expect. Uh, when we walked into that room, we were all hit so hard with, with the, the sense of, of hope and joy that was there that um, I, I don't think it took us a long time to recover in a positive way from how how joyful it was, uh, which really speaks to IJM. Um, the fact that they have this this process of pulling someone out of a very dark place and uh, and helping rehabilitate their soul so that they're not only living but they're thriving and they're and they're using whatever pain they have in their history uh, for good and in, into the future. Um, the smiles that we saw on their faces were, were true and honest and, um, and much deeper than a lot of the smiles that we see on, on your average person. Uh, so all of that was very heavy. Um, it meant so much to us. We were all very emotional after that, um, seeing sort of like the proof of what IJM is doing um, was was incredible. Um, we sang some songs. They had some instruments, so we tried to. You know, we played some songs for them. They ended up. Some of oh, them wow. were like per performing with us, and they knew the songs, so they sang with us. Uh, we played some games, and then we had some lunch. And uh, wow, it's still so powerful, even for me to to recount um, right now. Um, like we keep saying, the hope the joy. Uh, I think we always have to remember that pain and suffering is, is a true thing in our world, um, unfortunately. And unfortunately, some have to go through more of it than others. Um, but to see the healing that was in process there uh, just kind of really floored us. 
Usually and I are both massive Glastonbury Festival fans um, and we saw that they issued an anti-slavery statement um, which both raises awareness for modern slavery, which is great, it's exactly what we do, um, on the issues and it also sets an example of how the music industry should respond to challenges like modern slavery. And Zach, a question for you is, can you think of other examples of how the music industry is changing to contribute to a world that is free from modern slavery and question for Molly have you noticed any significant changes in your field or in the kind of third sector generally because something that we are often trying to do is how do we bring in other sectors whether it's the business sector the music world how do we get everyone talking about this as an issue um yeah I think one of the encouraging things has been seeing how um, businesses are starting to take uh, the the s of ESG more seriously so I think uh, we're seeing sort of shareholders and um, consumers and even people's companies' own staff um, putting pressure on companies to pay more attention to um, whether there is exploitation and slavery in their supply chain. And I think that that could open up a real opportunity, um, particularly because there's now more in terms of mandatory due diligence that's sort of potentially being pushed through with the EU. And we're seeing things like um, import bans as well, which is in- increasing the likelihood of corporates taking action. And I think one thing we think is that corporates have such a big voice and they have also influence over global governments. And so if we can see big multinationals starting to genuinely take action to stop exploitation in their supply chains, we could end slavery much faster. And, and we've been encouraged at IJM to see um, people like Walmart coming to us and saying, like, what can we do? How can we work together? And we've been doing some amazing work with them over the last few years. And so, you know, if that if they are pioneering that, and you know, if we get more people deciding to take real powerful action, I think that would be incredible. Um, and I think, like, I think as well that something that you guys have talked about a bit as well um, at the Anti-Slavery Collective is is the connection as well between big global issues. So things like climate change and slavery, we're starting to understand that those two issues are totally connected. And what if we all start to actually explore that more and to think of what are the solutions there that could see two massive global issues both being tackled at the same time with huge lasting impact for a lot of people around the world. Um, yeah, and I think I think like finally as well, like, I think we're seeing more people starting to pay attention to survivors and and the expertise and experience of survivors in helping to shape change. And so really understanding what are the solutions that are going to work, listening to survivors, but also being data driven and and looking at like, well, what is actually working? What is the data telling us about, you know, what's what's effective in ending slavery and trafficking? And I think that's exciting. When we start to do that as a sector, we start to almost think smart we can, we'll see some big uh, changes globally. Um, yeah, so I think there's, there's so many different things that are happening in the sector, which I'm sure you guys are seeing too. Um, and, and I think too, finally, just a big opportunity with technology. Um, we're seeing how technology is both an opportunity and a challenge when it comes to trafficking and slavery. So, you know, on the one hand, I mean, our teams are using like satellite technology to track traffickers and we're doing things like, uh, look, investing in blockchain and looking at that as an option and and then you know partnering with TikTok to help Ukrainian refugees be aware of trafficking risks so there's all these ways tech can be used for good but then there's also ways like we've seen through online sexual exploitation of children where it can be used for ill and with new things like cyber scamming where people are being trafficked to scam people around the world online so I think you know 
there's there's just a ton for the sector to be pushing into. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of challenge. But I think the big thing is just keeping the hope that that change is possible and that we when we work together, when we see people like One Republic and artists and you guys and you know governments and corporates and survivors, if we all come together and we're all getting behind solutions that work, we genuinely could actually end slavery in our lifetime. We could be the generation that ends it. And for me, that's like what gets me out of bed in the morning. I like that. We could be the generation that ends it. We will. We will mm-hmm. be the generation. <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah, I like that. Like, like Molly said, a lot of uh, multinational corporations are, are getting involved now. And there's something very positive uh, that can be used about, um, you know, regarding peer pressure, where it's a little bit like, well, now that one corporation's doing it, others kind of go, well, maybe we should think about this. Um, and so in the music industry, I think artists have uh, sort of a powerful voice in, in terms of promoting that a little bit. And, and you know, we always talk about raising awareness, but but awareness is very powerful. That's why we talk about it a lot. <clears throat> in the music industry, it's a little bit challenging because um, I personally don't know um, – at least from my experience, um, what our industry, uh, how our industry either promotes the wrong thing or the right thing um, on the road touring. You know, we're not really pushing that much a, a product uh, in terms of manufacturing or or anything like that. A lot of of our quote unquote product is either live music or digitally or digital music. Right. So we're not even pushing CDs anymore. Um, so when it comes to um, slavery and manufacturing or, 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 or things like that, like we really don't have a big involvement in that, with the exception of selling merch um, at a show or online. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest ways that an artist can very easily shift into something better um, in terms of saying this is, you know, when you buy my shirt, this shirt is actually being produced um, in the right place by people who are being taken care of um, and and paid the right salary. And so responsibly sourced merch um, can be something that we can do in order to, mm. to promote that. And I think uh, with more awareness, more artists will do that and more fans will be conscious about, okay, where's the shirt made, you know, and are you, um, are you on point with, with what I believe when it comes to sourcing merchandise responsibly um but again the music industry is kind of a challenge um, because because of those things so uh for me i think awareness is probably one of the biggest things we can do uh, with artists is just to start to just push that you know and corporations will follow uh, a lot of times we're we're a lot of times we're sort of brushing shoulders with uh, ceos big companies and we can very easily say uh you know, we're involved with this. Like, what What do you think about it? And a lot of times they, they would think very deeply about it and maybe change some of their policies. That's great. We love hearing that. Part yeah. of what we like to do is try and inspire um, corporations and businesses to, to want to get behind sort of changing their ways. And Zach, Molly, we've we've spoken about hope in various different contexts throughout this conversation, and it seems more fitting than ever to end with this question. But we'd love to hear from you a story of hope and encouragement 
Um, as we said earlier, it can feel like an overwhelming task to combat modern slavery in our lifetime. And Molly, as you said, it's very much a problem for this generation to fix. But we'd love to hear from you a story of hope that would spur our listeners on as well to, to join this fight and become modern abolitionists. Yeah, well, firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for having us on. It's been such a, a treat to get to spend some time with you all. Um, for me, like a story that really inspires me is um, I actually, when I first started at IJM, spent two weeks sort of touring the UK with a survivor of online sexual exploitation called Joy. And her name literally does epitomise her actual character as well. And um, she'd been... Uh, tricked into um, abuse at the age of 10 by one of her neighbours and spent four years being exploited for you know, sex offenders to watch around the world. So a really dark, horrible story of, of abuse. She's brought to safety. And I think the thing that just really inspires me is that she just refused to give up. And she's now in a place where she's she's been through a lot of healing and therapy, but she just uh, graduated to be a social worker. And she's now helping other children who have experienced the same kind of abuse that she had to uh, heal from their trauma. And I just think that's amazing, like that she would choose to do that and that she's now also speaking out on global platforms. And, you know, her biggest uh, sort of motivation is to see that abuse not happen to anyone else. And I think one amazing woman and also just so lovely and so full of joy. And yeah, that's what kind of keeps me going is knowing that that's possible, that healing can happen. And another thing that I think is just really hopeful is the fact that we're having this conversation and that you guys are here and sort of choosing to speak out on an issue that you don't have to. There's like no obligation for any any of you to be talking about this. And yet you've all kind of chosen to speak, use your platforms to to make change. And I think you're doing it really effectively and you're making people pay attention. And, and that gives me hope. And I just want to say thanks. Oh, that's well, such a nice you, thing to say. Um, yeah, I, uh, there's, I mean, there's multiple examples. Um, uh, one of the things that we did when we visited the Philippines was we we um, we all piled into a few different vans and went into one of the neighborhoods where they had uh, discovered that um, that some uh, online uh, sexual exploitation of children was was happening, like in those neighborhoods, and. And we drove around just because they wanted to show us, um, you know, through through their intel, this is this is where it's happening. And and it wasn't too long after that that we received an email saying this this group that you were with, they actually went and pulled like five children out of a house in that same neighborhood, and now we're and now we're moving forward towards um, towards helping them create a whole new life, and that's just so powerful. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. It's been amazing to learn more about IGM's work. It's been amazing to hear from you, Zach. Thank you so much for joining Thank us you. today. Thank you. Thank you. It means, it means a um, lot. Thank you. It means a lot to us. It means a lot to our listeners. And I can't wait to share this episode with everyone. I'm Thank excited. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Our huge thanks to both Zach and Molly for their time today. If you'd like to find out more about One Republic and IGM's work and just how extensive it is, check the links in our show notes for more info. And if you're looking for more conversations with hugely impressive women, fear not, as next week we'll be joined by Karen Anstis. Karen spent over three decades in the Metropolitan Police and, after she retired, became part of the team that opened Bikita House. 
Paquita House is a safe house for survivors of trafficking. Karen explains just how important their work is in helping survivors take back control of their lives and begin a new normal life. We'll see you then. Floodlight is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.